0: All right, let's get started. <clears throat> Depression, doesn't that sound fun? Uh, I wish I would have heard your... I really needed the answers from last hour. I wish I would have heard it. Uh, I was talking about grief in the other room, so I'm wiping my nose and wiping my eyes, and we've been talking about all kinds of of real suffering. Right, and to say... Uh, to say that depression isn't something that's hit the church in the last couple of months, we would be, we would would just be denying reality, wouldn't we? Right? It's um, my heart goes out to teenagers. Uh, the amount of teenagers that I hear talking about and suffering through with whatever you would call it, depression or whatever you want to use, whatever word, it's just unfathomable. Uh, they are, there's real suffering in our churches and and in our homes. Twenty twenty was hard uh, on lots of people and in lots of places. I think most churches did fairly well at the budget level. In fact, of all the pastors I've talked to, maybe only a handful have said we're not better than what we were. Right. COVID money helped the church. Almost again, almost every church I know most churches uh faithful people came back, so they've lost some unfaithful ones. most pastors they're sad about that right well they're sad about that the unfaithful ones left not really they are sad uh, but the churches are stronger, many of them uh, they call it the great shift because people who were dissatisfied in their churches have shifted to new churches. And at sunrise, even yet, there are days that I get up on a Sunday morning and I look out and there's 25% of the congregation I don't even know. I feel like I teach to a new congregation every week. Now, there's two things that happen to make that happen. One, I think COVID. The second one is during COVID, we shut one building down and moved into our new building, which is on a main highway and that's been incredible, too. So there's just this great shift. But I think the thing about COVID that's hurt the churches more than anything is the lack of fellowship. The lack of face to face. Sharing coffee. Pumpkin crunch. <laughs> and lots of other good things. Right, it's the lack of the laughing right you can do as much as you can do online, but at some point you lose it right it's you lose the sense of we're in this together, and I think that's really hurt a lot of churches. I know at at our church we're it's something that we talk often about as elders is that everything we do has to include fellowship at this point because we want people with each other, we want people talking and thinking and loving and all those things. And so when we talk about depression, whether you would say you believe it's real or not, right? Depression, let's talk broad sense. Depression is an umbrella word, right? So if you say you're depressed, really what you're saying is all the things under the umbrella, right? It's a it's a word that it's a kind of a bucket or a bucket term or an umbrella term, right? There's, the bucket says depression, but there's lots of little particulars inside of there that people just kind of throw into the word depression, most of us can't give the DSM-5 characteristics of depression, but we certainly know people or we've put on Facebook before, if it rains one more day, I'm going to be so depressed. Right? The word is used often. And so, so however you want to use the word, to say that the church, and by church I'm talking about the broad sense of Christianity, to say that the church, to almost the same degree that the world is suffering right now with whatever we stick in that bucket, uh, I think that's a true statement. And so what do we do with that as believers? How do we as biblical counselors, how do we as followers of Jesus Christ, how do we respond to that? Let's start with here, number one. Statistics indicate that many Americans describe themselves as depressed. And you don't need statistics. You can go to TikTok or you can go to Facebook or any one of the other places. Right, the incident rate of depression for those born after 1950 is as much as 20 times higher than the incident rate for those born at, before 1910. Right, that is a real issue. That's by Ed Welch. Number two, depression can be very complicated because it's used to describe many different things. That's the point I was making earlier. People who call themselves depressed can be describing a wide range of issues. Some may have shut down physically. Some may have been hospitalized. Some may be handling their normal duties, but would also use the words like discontent and worry and anxiety and stressed out. So just when someone says they're depressed, we really don't know much. Right? We haven't learned much. Those who are depressed often speak of pain, darkness, numbness, worthlessness as their constant companions. Right, I felt like I was walking through a field of dead flowers and found one beautiful rose. But when I went bent down to smell it, it fell into an invisible hole. Ed has that in his book, Depression. Look at your next statement there. It says, I am now the most miserable man living. If what I feel were equally dist- pardon me, distributed to the whole human family, there would not be one cheerful face on earth. I've walked with some people recently in depression. And boy, it's It's miserable. Miserable for them, miserable for the people around them. One cannot rely on the medical model's explanation for the cause of depression. right, certainly there is an explanation, but you can't rely on it. Notice these two statements. Consider how depression is diagnosed in the current DSM. In the DSM, there is a list of nine criteria... Requiring five of the nine to be present during the same two-week period and represent a change from previous functioning. So the, diagnos- the diagnosis then, pardon me, is based on thinking and acting, not observable, measurable changes in one's body. In other words, it's a diagnostic that's made based off of personal observations of the one that's being diagnosed... Essentially, saying this is the way I perceive my life has changed. If these nine characteristics—five of nine—have to be present within the last two weeks, and it has to be a noticeable difference. Right? So it's not like they take blood or do something like that and say, "Oh, look, you're depressed," or "You've got the antibodies," or "You have the whatever." Right? Understand what scientific research is to this point is saying. The most common theory. For the last 20 years has been an imbalance in brain neurotransmitters, notably neuroepinephrine, dopamine, and more recently serotonin. However, the medical literature is clear that the theory can't be proven to be true. There's never been any provable neurotransmitter imbalance or balance. Again, you've heard Another lecture, the last hour, and I didn't get to hear the same thing you did. But the re- the reality is, and we're not saying that the medical community is not trying to be honest. We're not saying that. I am just saying to you that the medical community, many of them are honest, and they would say there's a lot they don't know. It's one of the I've been doing research on one of the more recent. Theories of depression, and it's fascinating. I don't know if it's going to plant, uh, pay out or plan out or not, but it relates to a particular gene mutation. Uh, it's fascinating. I've had multiple medical doctors I've been talking to about it. But even then, it would not explain all of depression. It would just be one narrow, narrow point. So what do we need to do? Here's number one. Understand the depth of your counselee's suffering with depression. So understand, is the word you're looking for, the depth of your counselee's suffering with depression. Notice what Ed Welch writes. He says, contrary to what we think, God says that strong faith can coexist with emotional highs, lows, and everything in between. It is a myth that faith is always smiling. He's absolutely right. As we were just talking about in the other room related to grieving. Many people believe that if you're Christian. When the Bible says we sorrow not like the world. But we do it with hope that that doesn't mean we still don't sorrow. Right. We still sorrow. We just sorrow differently. We're still sad. We're still disappointed. The feeling of depression or suffering is real and for some very intense. And as counselors, we can never minimize or dispute it. So how can what can we do? Well, we first need to ask questions to gain further information. What do we need to ask questions about? Let me give you a list of things. Good data means we need to ask the history of the depression. What was the sequence of events? What happened and for how long has the depression been present? Learn the events in the life before and at the onset of depression. I remember one counseling I had. She said, oh, I need to come talk to you. And so we made an appointment to the secretary, all that stuff. She arrives and she says, I am depressed. And I said, well, how long? And she said, oh, just recently. But I noticed in her PDI that she had filled out her personal data inventory, the intake form. I noticed that it said that she had been on antidepressants. I'd recognized the names of them. And it said when she had started it 10 years ago. And I said, so how long did you say? And she said, it's just recent. And I said, well, I noticed in your paperwork here this. And so I read what I said, read what it said. And she said, oh, yeah, 10 years ago, I was depressed too. And I've been on antidepressants ever since. And I've not been depressed since then. But now I recently have been. You would not imagine how insightful it was for me to ask her, well, tell me what was going on 10 years ago. And she told me this story of a broken relationship, a divorce, and trying to raise a son and all those things. And I said, so we went through that and then I said, well, tell me recently what's been going on in your life. Guess what? Broken relationship. A man that she had been dating forever that she thought was going to Uh he had always been talking about engagement and when she thought they were going to be engaged, he broke it off. And so we've got what a similar feeling on both ends. And so even asking her history began to help her have insight on what was going on. Right. So ask questions to gain further information about the history of their depression, about family history. Is there anyone else in the family with depression? And what are those details Tell me about the relationships within the family. What are the relationships of the counselee with the rest of the family? What kind of support or non-support does this person have around the family? Ask about challenges or difficulties. Learn about the problems, situations or events associated with the depression. This usually represents some difficult or unpleasant circumstance like I was just talking about. A conflict, an argument, a pressure, or even personal sins. And so as they explain it, we want to listen carefully to try to understand what's their heart, which is being expressed in what we've put in our bucket called depression. So, right, so we're getting this bucket of depression from this heart, and it's interesting, this heart is responding to what? To circumstances. And so as we ask about the circumstances, we're essentially figuring out what kind of heat in the root of this heart produced this kind of fruit. And the fruit, we don't know what kind of fruit it is, but it's in a bucket called depression. Right? We've pulled the fruit and we can see its it's in our bucket. About what made those challenges particularly devastating... This is important. Don't assume you know specific details or it must be this way or that they must think a certain way because of your own personal experience. You've got to ask questions. Right, so if they say, well, this is what's going on and I thought he was going to ask me to marry him and he broke up with me. Well, I think I know how I would feel. That never happened to me though. So I'm going to say... So tell me, what are you thinking? How are you dealing with that? What's going on? I'm going to ask questions that relate to that particular difficulty. Why? Because I've got to counsel the person sitting in front of me, not the person that's in my brain. Right? The only way I move from my brain assumptions to this person's real world experience, real world experience, is I ask a question. As I ask that question, I draw out those details. And at times, I realize what I was thinking isn't what they're thinking at all. Right, So I don't want to counsel the person that's not there. What else? Ask about how they chose to respond to those challenges. The response is what? Well, you might jot this down. The response is both in thinking and actions. They might tell you how much it hurts or how unpleasant it is. They may say, will it ever let up? What's going to happen to me? Right, the response to those challenges is unbiblical when it focuses on self. When that's its primary focus. When it doesn't see God in the problem or doesn't deal with the problem as the way God teaches but then we're going to have to think through those responses. What else? Ask about changes in the way they've handled challenges or difficulties. What did the counselee want to happen with that response? How did the counselee think that this response would help? And then another question you can ask. Ask about the role the Lord has in their life. How does this counsel e fit God into this situation or into this problem? That's an important question as well. So ask questions. And there's a lot, many, many more questions that can flow out of those. Letter B. Allow them to express their frustration, fears, worries, and disappointments. Notice Psalm 13:1 and 2 says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, soul having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will be my my enemy be exalted over me? I recently had someone come to counseling, and I asked part of the series of questions that you've heard, and, and so I was given this counseling the opportunity to express herself. And I didn't interrupt. And she cried. No, I wouldn't even say cry. She wailed. She at times screamed. She at times just sobbed and sat there quietly. Enough that I had, I don't know how many people come by, secretaries. She kept coming in, peeking and looking in the window. Okay, is everybody okay? And probably an hour and a half. Some of the times I had no idea what she was saying she was crying so hard i was just kind of picking up every couple of right every third or fourth or fifth word i would oh well, maybe she's talking about this now i jot a note to myself got to figure that out i don't even know what she's talking about what i do i just listened a lot cried a little later She sent a text, and not all my counselees have my phone number, but for some reason she did. Later, she sent a text, and it just said, thank you for listening. Now, I did more than just listen, uh, but you'd have been uncomfortable, as I was. And I've been doing this a long time. Uh, My secretaries were uncomfortable. They weren't even in the room, right? So sometimes that happens. But what's the best thing I could do? I could let this person express what was going on in their mind and heart. And the only way you're going to do that well is you have to let them express long enough for you to hear it. And when someone's sharing that depth of of information, is it awkward? Yes, it can be very awkward. And I would just say you have to marinate in the awkwardness. You just have to recognize this is part of ministry. Is it fun? No. No. It's not fun at all, but it's necessary. And so I'm not going to shut her up quickly because I want to hear what she has to say. And I want her to express herself so that she has said it. And I want to be able to let those things weigh heavily on my mind and heart. And I want to hear what she's having to say. And as she's speaking, what I'm beginning to right. So let's add last month. All this information's coming. And and I'm going to say, let's use laundry baskets. Right. if my wife has laundry baskets at the end of our hallway and when we take off all of our clothes at the end of the day we are responsible for putting it in the right basket so there's a basket for whites and a basket for reds and a basket for dark colors and, and so all of the rest of us in the home are responsible for that so that when it's time to do laundry she doesn't have to resort so I, that's been very helpful in my counseling because when someone comes in what are they doing? they're throwing laundry all kinds of laundry at you but they don't bother to pre-sort it, right? So as it's coming at you, what are you doing? You're saying, oh, this goes here. This goes here, right? You're, you're putting it in the right basket as quickly as you can. So this girl sitting here and she's, she's emoting. She's doing all of these things, giving me all this information, but she's just got dirty laundry everywhere. So I'm listening and what? I'm putting it in the basket of circumstance, the basket of response, the basket of thoughts and the basket of motives. So as she's throwing it to me, I'm sorting it as quickly as I can. But the longer she talks, the more laundry's there and the more I sort, but I'm beginning to get a sense of what's going on. Because you might say, "How?" in fact, I had one of my my observers. Uh, He said, I think you're the most patient person I've ever been around. Well, no, I know I need to hear. And in the process of hearing, what? I'm caring. right? So it's more than just one thing. So we allow them to express it. We listen. We express patience through these initial data gathering stages. Exactly what I've been explaining to you. Notice what Welch says. There are paradoxes in most depression. You loathe the isolation of depression, but you avoid other people. You want help, but you don't always listen. You believe there is a God, but you feel like an atheist. Yeah, that's powerful. See, this might require a slower counseling pace. And I would say it does. I'm slow anyway. I'm just a country boy from Kentucky. So I'm not the smartest boy anyway. And so when I counsel, it takes me longer than smart counselors. Right? Keith Palmer. Those guys are a lot quicker than I am. Uh, if they can do it in an hour, it'll take me two hours. Plus, I like to enjoy people, talk to people. So I socialize more than they do. And so while I'm sitting there, I'm slow to begin with. You get somebody that's depressed or suffering or has a problem, and it's real slow. So if you can do it in six weeks, I can do it in 12 weeks. And so I just plan to do it. But I've counseled some folks. I've got one gal for eight years off and on. It was six months before I knew why she was there. She was so depressed that when I would say certain words, she would jump all over. She would sit in my office and pull her hair and bite her hands. At times she'd crash her head against my wall. That's slow counseling. Counseling. There were weeks I didn't hardly understand her the whole hour. We would get nowhere. She had an uncanny sense of an hour. It's around 55 minutes. I could see she'd get uneasy about 60 minutes. She'd say, is it time for me to leave? I'd say, yep. If you want to go, let me pray for you. I told her one time, I won't get angry at you. That was a mistake. Because she did everything she could do to get me angry. Absolutely everything she could do. Wild, wild, wild counseling. The depth of her suffering was so deep. Just so deep. And I can't tell you how many ways that she had been sinned against. Um, And by all the people. So you say it requires a slower pace. Yes. Yes. But why are we in a hurry? Right? That's the question. Right? Flip that. Yes, it requires, a, you could say it requires a slower pace or it just requires a pace. Right? There's no reason to be in a hurry. We can listen. We want to listen. It might require more prayer. It does. You know what? Sometimes I say, I can tell my question has really caused you to get upset. Can I just stop right now and pray for you? I've prayed five, six, seven times in one counseling session. Why? Because they need it. We need the Holy Spirit to help us. This person needs to know that we're not in there by ourselves. Recently, I had a... uh, Same observer. He's my primary observer. Uh, Takes him a long time to learn, like it takes me a long time to counsel. He's my number one guy. So he sits with me all the time and... The other day I said, I said to somebody, "Well, I, I think we can get through this. I've seen it worse. God is God is gracious. We have the Bible and the Spirit. We're going to make it." So they they get, they get up and leave. And he said, "Pastor, I am convinced you have lied to those people." <laughs> <laughs> So I'm thinking, which time, <laughs> right? What, uh, what exactly do you think I lied about? He said, there's no way you've seen it worse. Uh, so it takes a lot of prayer sometimes. If they listen to you pray, eventually you help them learn to pray. Right, so it's, it's very helpful. One counseling, I realized that every time I would pray, now I would ask a question, and you could put her on the clock, it'd take five minutes for her to come up with an answer. That was five seconds. Right? So think about this. Well, we'd get a couple minutes into it, and I would say, "Why don't we pray?" And just ask God to give you the strength and wisdom and the courage. And and so we'd pray. But then I realized every time I did that, it would restart the clock. So I quit praying for her. I just prayed quietly, Lord help her. And help me. One of my counselors, I'll tell you one of mine. Right there's some people with real deep struggles. And so one of mine, this person was in the same situation like we're talking about. And she was suffering so deeply. I watch I look at my counselees, right, for Halo data and all the stuff that we're looking for and we're we're paying attention and whatever notes and all that stuff and and she said, Would you please look over there? Don't look at me. So when she would come to counseling, if I looked at her, it would create really difficulties. And so I'd just have to look out the other out the other way. My phone would occasionally beep and she'd say, Oh, do you need to get that? And so I'd check email or Send somebody a text or whatever. Sometimes when she was thinking about an answer. Because if I looked at her, it would just create a mess. Um, so, slower pace, yes. Prayer, yes. Encourage them with hopeful passages many times. Right? Psalm 23 he says, the Lord is my shepherd. He restores your soul. He leads you. He guides you. Psalm 42 verse 5 says, Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disquieted, disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. So if we think about this first step in terms of process, then what are the end results of this step? See, I would say before we move on, it's important to understand what we've done at this point is we've shown compassion. Right? The person who is depressed may not believe we know what we're talking about, but they at least know we care about them. Right? They at least know that we've invited God into this moment. They would say, well, you understand, (coughs) pardon me, you understand my history. Right? So we've been careful to listen and not interrupt. You've begun in a small way what? To connect their depression to the relationship with God and the glory of God. So allow them to Express themselves and be patient. Notice, demonstrate biblically the hope and help found in one's relationship to Christ. How are we going to do that? Well, here's one way. Explain the depress- that depression is not something that merely happened to them. Notice this particular diagram. It's important to see. There, it's on your notes. right? If we start at the top Block, it says outside events. This is from Ed Welch as well. Things outside our control, that's people, events, illnesses, all kinds of things, they come at us. So then what happens? Notice the first arrow. Internally, we respond to those things. How do we respond? Well, through interpretation of those events. How do we interpret? we interpret t- interpret those through our belief system so there are things we can change we may not right we're going to make choices and there are things that come out of us and in this instance what comes out of us this bucket called depression And again, that's a big bucket. It's got all kinds of things in it. Sleeping late, right? There's many things that can be associated and we can start just tagging all those, but we've just thrown them in our bucket and we're talking about our bucket. So once you're depressed, look at the next arrow. It makes your events harder. So then the outside things come in even in a different sense and maybe even in a different Um, frequency so even though people will speak about depression as if it simply came at them or upon them the point of this diagram again by Ed Welch very helpful is that while some things happen outside of our control your interpretation of those events are inside your control you decide how to think about the events this is why the same event produces different responses in different people Thus, you're a contributor often to the level of your depression. Right? You're a contributor. You do have a responsibility. And that's why what? We need to be connecting them to a rock that's higher than they. Right? We don't want them to keep their mind on earthly things and spiraling deeper in the darkness of some logical path that leads to nowhere. We want them to set their mind on things above. So we want to connect the counselee to the many passages and people in the Bible where depression is found. To some folks, it may surprise them that the Bible is full of information related to people that have circumstances that are in their bucket. right? So these people in the Bible, they have a bucket full of similar circumstances. Suffering, struggling, despair, hopelessness. And it's in the middle of a lot of the hopelessness in the Bible we get profound and helpful truths. Let's pick up a couple. There is hope to handle life in a biblical fashion. Not false hope that the situation or the feelings will change or the feelings will improve. But hope that God gives. Notice these texts. Don't we love 1 Corinthians 10.13? Someone recently told me that that only relates to sin. That is absolutely not accurate. This relates to suffering as much as it does sin. In fact, just write in your notes there, right beside it. This is a statement I love to have people memorize when, they, when I'm working through 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God's grace is up to the challenge. God's grace is up to the challenge. With the temptation, he'll provide you a way of escape. Now, catch us in your text there, in your notes where it's a copy of the text, what does it say? It's a way of escape Is the escape out of trouble or is the escape through trouble? It's through trouble. Correct. So that you can endure it. Endurance means you're going through it. It doesn't mean God is whisking you out of it. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That has a very specific context. We don't want to rip it out of context. But in the context, what it's saying in Christ, you have the ability to have contentment in your circumstance. That's an important text. Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather. Who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who also intercedes for us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Right? None of those things. If you're working with someone with depression, hope It's going to have to ooze out of every one of your pores because of God's promises, right? The hope is not because of your strength, but it's based on God's character. It's based on his word. David Pallison died just a few years ago, just a dear, dear friend of mine and my professor back in the. In the 90s. And David used to say. I counseled three people. And they won. (laughs) Right. We've been. If you've counseled much. That happens. Sometimes. When some. Some of the folks. I've been telling you about. They come to counseling. I just say. Oh God. Give me hope. Give me hope. Just them showing up at my door. I feel like. Oh. I'm out of hope already. Because. And I'm not. Meaning to be silly. About the people. But. Their. Their sorrow. Is so significant. So as a biblical counselor, you have to have hope. There are biblical examples of individuals who struggled with despair. There's two that I'll mention briefly. Cain, of course, in Genesis 4. Right? The Lord said, hey, Cain, this is the kind of offering you need to bring. And he didn't quite do that. So Cain rejected God and God rejected his offering. So God communicates to Cain in two different ways. You've violated my standard. Cain's response is he gets angry at God. So God says, Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? What is depression? Ah, in that bucket, sometimes we have a fallen countenance. Most of the time. If you do well, will your countenance not be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's desirous for you, but you must master it. In other words, it says, why are you down? Why are you dejected? Why do you have the blues, the blahs, the burnouts, the doldrums? Why are you feeling so pitiful? What are you so frustrated about? Why are you angry? Why do you have resentment, Cain? What are we talking about? Just stuff in our bucket. Why did God ask that question? Because he knew he needed to get Cain's Cain's mind and heart, not on his feelings, but on something different. He needed Cain to see that he really was mad at God. right? He's connecting him back to God. So God told him, if you feel right... The Pardon me, God told him the way to feel right was to do right. That's not the only fix. You don't just look at somebody and say, well, if you just do these six things, you'll feel better. That's missing the whole point of it. So God and Cain. But Cain, what? He didn't choose God's way. And things got worse and worse and worse for him. Ended up murdering. Being kicked out of the garden. Or... Being kicked out of the presence of the rest of the family, I should say, not the garden. He defied God in verse 9. He was punished in verses 10 through 12. Verse 13 and 14, Cain says to the Lord, my punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. And I shall be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. And it will come about that whoever finds me will kill me. What's he saying? Oh, he's just explaining his bucket. He's struggling. If you took the DSM-5 notes and compared them with Cain, you'd say, boy, yeah, it seems like we've got a problem. Who else? Well, how about Elijah? Elijah, man, he had all kinds of miracles going around him. Fed by ravens. Unbelievable strength. He did that whole rain thing. (coughs) A vigorous run. He outruns the king who's riding in a chariot. He turns his focus off what God had been doing and all of those things. And he gets scared about this lady. And so what's he do? He gives up and he says... I just want to die. There's no solution to my problems. I might as well die. And I just have Cain and Elijah. But friends, if you go through the Bible and look at all the people who said they wanted to die, there's tons of them. And they're all listed in Hebrews 11. Many of them are. Our heroes were thinking about suicide about half the time. Right? Oh, I just want to die. Elijah's one of them. What are we talking about? Look at your notes at this depression cycle. This is so helpful. This is from Elise Fitzpatrick. Sad thoughts and feelings from various causes bring a lack of desire to fulfill responsibilities, which what then you have sad thoughts compounded by irresponsibility and more sadness and lack of energy. And then before long, the heart and body are imprisoned by depression. Right? It just, it's a cycle. It's a miserable cycle. And so the cycle out, of course, Genesis four, which is the text we've been talking about from Cain. Notice deciding by faith to compete, to complete, I should say, it does say compete there. That should say complete your responsibilities. No matter how you feel, Good feeling produced by knowing you're doing what God wants you to do. More energy and desire to work on your problems and follow the Lord. Working by faith on your problems and seeking to be faithful in God's strength. Doesn't mean you won't feel down ever. But notice those are responses to your feelings. They're responses to your circumstances that come from biblical thinking. So letter C. Encourage them to think like Christ and be empowered by Christ. Encourage them to think like Christ and be empowered by Christ. Think right thoughts about God, sin and self. Notice these passages. Romans 6 verse 11 says, Even so, what consider yourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. In the King James, I think, years ago, it said, Reckon Yourself. It's a good Kentucky word. We said that word in the, con- in the country. What's that mean? It means to think about it and decide that's true. right? Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. That's a thought that's right. But it's something you're going to have to think about. 1 Corinthians 6, look at this. Wow, do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such what were some of you. But now you're washed. Sanctified, justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of our God. What are we doing? We're reminding them of their position in Christ. Philippians 4 verse 8. Finally brothers. Whatever's true. Honorable. Right. Pure. Lovely. Of good repute. If there's any excellence in anything worthy of praise. What dwell on these things. So we want to think what's right. Here's the second thing we want to do. We want to foster a thankful heart in life. A thankful heart in life. Notice what Ephesians 5 says. And don't get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, if you like language, if you were to draw a little line here between Spirit and speaking, an arrow. If you're filled with the Spirit, what? All of these things will happen. This is. These are called participles of result so speaking to one another in psalms hymns and spiritual songs that's the first one singing that's the second one making melody that's the third one to your with your heart to the lord now catch this one number four always giving thanks for all things in the name of the lord jesus christ to god even the father and number five is in being subject to one another in the field of christ five results of walking in the spirit And one of those results is always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we want to foster a thankful heart in life. Right now I'm in 30 days of praise. I found 30 verses in the book of Psalms and other texts that praise God. And so in the month of November, I'm trying to preach that to myself every day. Right. The reminders of that. In fact, look at number three. Number three says, preach the gospel to oneself. That's so important. Why? Because what do we normally do? We preach everything else to ourselves. Right? You have to see all the days, events of life through the lens of the gospel. Milton Vincent, if you don't have it, it's called a, a book he has called The Gospel Primer. Excellent resource. In the month of November, every day, I'm taking one of the next thing on his little book and I'm rewording it and I'm sending it to everybody in our family by text. And I'm just rejoicing in the gospel every day in the month of November for my family. Right, so I'm doing one. I'm doing several things in November. I'm also giving a card every day in the month of November to my wife, thanking I have 30 things I'm grateful for, uh, for her. Say why are you doing all that stuff? Cuz I need to be more thankful. Covid's hard. Life has been difficult. So how do we help get ourselves out of that? We're thankful. We praise. We rejoice. We preach the gospel to ourselves. You say, are you depressed? I'm not going to tell you what's in my bucket. <laughs> but I do know that it's going it's helpful to all of us. Right? Whether it's in your bucket or not. If you ask the depressed person to write out a list of things they're thankful for, how many items will they have on their list? Not many. Not many. I can promise you that. Most of the time they won't even bring a but list back. Number four, seek to perform tasks even though it's hard. It is difficult. Listen to these passages. Philippians 4.9 says, The things you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me. What? Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Someone who's depressed, what do they need? They need the God of peace. They need God's opinion. Luke nine verse twenty three says, And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. And what? Take up his cross daily and follow me. That includes... Obedience that's doing a, a task that's a hard task. Depressed individuals generally have stopped doing many of the following things in response to their mood. Gradually and purposefully resuming them is essential. So the following list is not exhaustive but includes things that are often neglected. See, if someone's got this bucket that they call depression, a lot of times they have, they don't have these things in terms of things that they should be doing. And so what does that do? All of these means the, the, mean that the bucket's going to be heavier. Normal activities they need to start doing, like what? Sleep, hygiene, dress, work. Housework, responsibilities of marriage, parenting—right? You have to engage life. You can't just sleep, or can't stay up all the time. Depends. Normal activity is essential to spiritual growth. You can't say, "I feel so bad, I can't go to church, can't participate in life groups, can't read my Bible, can't try to memorize something, can't pray, can't talk to others." Right? Why? Because all those things are just going to make you feel worse if you don't do them. Social engagements with neighbors, friends, loved ones, and relatives are often avoided. What does that mean? It's just going to be longer and harder. All those things make the bucket harder. Right? It just makes it more difficult. So what else? We need to explain the purpose of life in Christ. We, I love Second Corinthians 5, 9 and 10. He says, we have this ambation, ambition, pardon me, whether absent or present, To be pleasing to the Lord. Right. That means to live honorable to him. Romans 8. It says we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those that love God and to those that are called according to his purpose. Why? Because for those he foreknew, he predestined. And this is the goal to be conformed to the image of his son, even when you're down. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We want to, as much as possible, understand the purposes of the Lord. Number three, demonstrate biblically then how their sin may have contributed to their depression. Notice in your, in your notes and on the board, it says, Depression has a suffering component. But it's often complicated by thoughts and actions that are against the word of God. Let's just let me even pause to say this depression. Some depression may, in fact, the feelings that part of the bucket, part of the feelings in the bucket may be physiological, meaning there's nothing you're doing to produce them, but you still feel it. Let's say for an instance that that is true. Because our bucket has lots of stuff in it. Even if that's the case. the Responding to those feelings. And responding in a way that doesn't honor the Lord. Makes it worse. That's our role as a biblical counselor. I can't do anything. If there is a physiological component. I can't do anything about the physiology. But I can help them respond to it. That's what we're saying here. Non-responding in a way that doesn't honor the Lord just makes suffering harder. It's complicated. That's the word. You might circle that. It's complicated by thoughts and actions that are against the word of God. Our depressed counselees would be helped by learning how to deal with their sin at the proper time in the counseling process. Again, you might underline the words at the proper time. Right? That's not the first thing you deal with. I've already told you, we just go on a slow pace. Sins that are often contributing include what? Letter A. When the counselee has been gripped by fear. Psalm 58 verse 3 or 6 verse 3 says, When I am afraid, I will trust in you. A counselee that's afraid will often have contributed to their depression. Letter B. When the counselee uses anger in an unbiblical way. Why? Because it just makes everything worse. Look at what Ed Welch says. To angry people, God says, Confess your selfish anger, trust me, and obey. Letter C. When worry dominates the counselee's thoughts. Matthew 6, a great text on worry, fear, says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So worry. When normal grief over loss has become life dominating. Again, there is grief. We don't want to pretend in the in the it just because you love Jesus doesn't mean you won't grieve. But when it becomes life dominating, it can really create messes in our bucket. When guilt is not resolved and it becomes oppressive. When you've got an internal conflict. With guilt in the midst of your suffering. Oh boy, it complicates, right? That's the thing. We're talking complications. Listen to these verses. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. Well, it's good truth. Proverbs 28 verse 1 says the wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Lion. Letter F, when a person cannot seem to shake an event or multiple events from the past. Let me suggest you can jot it down. A great book by Steve Viers, Putting the Past in Its Place. It's a great resource. Steve's a good friend. Putting the past in its place. When a counselee comes to a conclusion that he or she will not attain their life goals, well, that's hard too. That will complicate. I was talking with somebody just recently. This particular young man said, No matter what I do, I'll never get my dream. Boy, was he struggling. 1 Corinthians 1, it says, "Don't Don't chase after foolish things, but let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Go for what is best, a wise person in God's word. So what are some common questions regarding depression? Let me just give you those. I know we only have just a little bit left here. Here's the first one. Is the goal to help depressed persons feel better? That's, that's a trick question. I would say we would be happy if they feel better. And when they come for counseling, I pray that they will feel better. In fact, there's a young lady right now. She sent me a text earlier tonight if i shared your text you would if i shared her text with you you would just be heartbroken she's in ozark missouri tonight and she is struggling if you take 1 second in your seat and just say oh lord give her mercy i hate that she feels so poorly and I would be happy if God alleviates it. But that's not the goal of counseling. The goal of counseling is that even in her distress. That she's becoming like Jesus Christ. Do I hate it? Yes I hate it. Not because it blows up my phone. Not because we're going to have to sit in the room and listen to her cry and all that stuff. Not none of that. Because I hate to see my sister in Christ suffer. What this girl wants isn't hard. But in God's providence, he's not given it. And today she's had another disappointment. So we say, is the goal to help them feel better? No, but would sure be nice if God would do that sometimes. Or I should say when he does that. Number two. Is a chemical imbalance the cause of depression? And that's a trick question, too. Just simply by research, the answer has to be no. They've done research for 30 years, and they've yet to answer that question in the affirmative. Fast I went to a whole conference on it recently. Fascinating. There's there is no good science that gives the ideology of depression to a chemical imbalance. But could there be something biological going on that complicates the stuff in the bucket? I would just say yes. There could be, even though we don't know what that is. Again, we're chasing this gene mutation. I hope that's it. I hope that's some of it. That would be God's grace. Dr. Charlie Hodges, several of the MDs that work with us, they're checking into that. That would be nice. Number three, how should a person decide whether to take antidepressants given the risk and the benefits? Uh, that's a fantastic question, too. Let me give you two answers. First answer I would see is very carefully. Very carefully. And then the second answer with lots of help. Not you. That's the counselor. That's not your decision. In fact, if the, when they ask me, I say I don't have an answer. Why? Because I'm not their medical doctor. They come to me to respond to feeling bad for the glory of God, not for me to say yes or no to medicine. Right? We are not the doctor. We don't put people on medicine. We don't encourage them to come off of medicine. That's, that's not, that's not even ethical. If another profession gives them, prescribes to them medicine, it is never our role to re-diagnose or to suggest a different solution, right? Because, again, that's not our role. So whether or not they take antidepressants is between them and someone else, their doctor. <clears throat> Even though I have a doctorate, I don't jump in on that discussion. And when they say, "Are you? do you think I should or shouldn't take this medicine? I say, those are great questions. In fact, you could ask maybe three more questions. This, this, and this. But now go to your doctor and have a good discussion on that. That's We want to send them back. Number four, how should you respond if a depressed person threatens to commit suicide? Take it seriously. Always. Always. Get them help. And I could tell you story after story of what that's looked like. I've got everything from butcher knives to hunting knives to other stuff. I'll I'll leave it at that. I keep it all in my safe. I remember walking this one person called and said, would you please go over here and check on this person right now? They're thinking about suicide. It's a dear older man. He had had been in ministry for years and now he's really old and he was having some, some significant troubles and... I said, well, I've I've heard about you my whole life. It's good to meet you. And so we're talking with each other. And I said, do you ever think about hurting yourself? He said, yeah, look at those set of butcher knives over there. And I wondered, should I just kill myself? I said, would you mind if I just have those? No, you can have them. Thank you. Now, what else did I do? We called the ambulance. We did a number of other things. But I've had a set of butcher knives for years. What just reminds me, right? You take people seriously, right? You, um, yeah, I've got funny stories about that. Um, I've helped people. We've driven people to the hospital. We've put them in the hospital. This is what's true. You will never, the hospital will not hurt your counselee. They're not going to do one thing, right? I know some of you would say, oh, I would never want my loved one to go in there. You're right. You would never want it. But if the choice is, leave them alone and they possibly kill themselves or send them to the hospital, send them to the hospital every time. And if you're associated with the ministry, your ministry cannot afford not to do that. Right? The local church does, most local churches do not have the kind of, of uh, resources to give somebody 24-hour care. Right, So if someone says, I'm thinking about killing myself, you take that seriously. And you immediately go into action to help that person. If they're just blowing steam, they'll never do it again. Why? Because they know you're going to act. They won't like the consequences. They won't like that there's a lot of things that they're not in control. They may have to be in 72 hours in the hospital. There's a lot of things but you can't afford not to do something with it. Does that make sense? We always take people seriously, not because we're medically or legally required to, but because we love people. Right? Because we want to be very careful. Some sample homework. You'll see it there in the next couple pages. There's just some uh, ass- assignments. Uh, looks like about 14 or so of them, or something like that. So there's a, you can have them there. Uh, we don't have time to go over them, but you can use them. All right. May I pray for you? Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you do bring these dear people to us who suffer. And it's not always fun. It certainly is not easy. Uh, but what Jesus did on the cross was not fun or easy. And for the joy that was before him... He endured the cross. And Lord, we're happy to endure a few people who are struggling for the joy that's set before us. Oh, that our friends would become like Jesus. And in the process, may we become like Jesus. Lord, please help us to walk slow, listen well, cry with those who cry. Mourn with those who mourn. Help us to bear the burdens of our brothers as we move them toward restoration. And thank you that Jesus is with us in the process and the Spirit is praying for us because we need wisdom. And that it all fits your plan. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.